everybody, welcome to episode three of My Town Hustle. Today we're going to explore land banks and dilapidated property. Stay tuned. Welcome to My Town Hustle, where we take an in-depth look at the people, policies, and processes that make small towns work. Focusing on trends in urbanism and creative economies, My Town Hustle explores the ideas that make our community special. So sit back and enjoy the show. everybody welcome to my town hustle this is jared perry alongside brett Alfin. hey everyone and sam tootin what's going on today we are going to talk about land banks uh, we're going to get into the specifics you know kind of uh, how they're created uh, who manages them all the fun stuff but the first thing i want to really dive into is how in the world did we get to the point where we are having a discussion about land banks <laughs> the same way we get anywhere yeah. I don't know how that is, but here's how we got here. I think the most common refrain I hear toward our elected officials, right, in our communities near and far is, so if I'm looking at Sam and you're an elected official, yeah. Sam, do something, right? I'm having this issue. I want you to do something. Yeah. And then that public official proposes a solution, but we don't like that solution. I hate it. We don't want you to do that. No. That's kind of where we are with land banks, mm -hmm. and that's exactly why we're talking about it today. So you're telling me there's a general consensus out there. People don't like government interfering with their business. You do you, I do me sort of mentality. I think so, and I think that's, in this case, um, this suffers from that perception probably worse maybe than, maybe the most maligned idea that we've had, right, in, the, in recent history Totally. But it could really help us. Yeah. So you're taking someone's property, their, their home, their whatever. That and you may is, know that person. Yeah, you may know them, and that's such a large-scale thing. A lot of people have trouble with that. But, but there's a lot of other things into there that we will dive into of kind of why and why, those per, why these people have let that happen. But, you know, on outsiders' perception, who doesn't really know what a land bank is, maybe don't even know why someone's not paying their taxes on the property, that's all they see. Well, with that, let's let's dive in. Right. Uh, so, first and foremost, what is a land bank? How is it created, and who manages it? So, most simply, a land bank is an organization that is created to take ownership of blighted, abandoned, uh, tax delinquent properties. Maybe they're problematic. Maybe they have other challenges. But basically, to get those properties back into productive use on local tax rolls, right? Yeah. So we want to redevelop those properties through some mechanism. And the land bank is that mechanism. Yeah. Okay. And and when you say take them back, that's physically repossessing somebody's house due to back taxes or some other means. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure the exact process of acquiring compared to like to eminent domain. Yeah. So eminent domain is basically where um, we're taking your, you may be attacked, you may be paid current on taxes and your home is well-maintained and it's, it's occupied by you or others, but we're going to take that property for the public use, whether that's a construction project or some other thing, but that's eminent domain. You do have a little bit of agency in that. They will compensate you, but it's not usually a, um, voluntary thing where this is, yeah. Uh, basically somebody has abandoned, right, their responsibility as a property owner. And mm. 
that property isn't providing any productive value to the community. And we're seeking remedy to that situation. So how can we take that property? And I say take, meaning how can we get it back into productive use, whether that's another homeowner, yeah. whether that's green space, whether that's a adaptive reuse of commercial space, it could be any of those things. But how do we take it from a dilapidated, abandoned, oftentimes um, blighted property and make it useful? Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Okay. So what's the structure, the, the organizational structure look like? So it's a, a local government will form a private nonprofit corporation. So the most important thing right off the bat, this is not a, a county agency that you're creating, right? This is not a public agency, right? This is a, a private nonprofit. Now, the members of the board of directors of that nonprofit are mostly public officials. And that's kind of the public piece of this. And I think most people get tripped up right there. Yeah. Would you, would you agree? I absolutely agree. They just assume it's a government-ran organization. It's not. Okay, these, these officials, are they elected or are they appointed? The, the board is usually made up of these, these folks. So it's the county treasurer, two county commissioners, one member of the largest city in the county, one township member, and then other officials chosen by the county treasurer or the county commissioners. And that can be, typically it's combinations of five or seven or nine members. Okay. And you want a good representation, obviously, across the board there. So, and I don't know how many townships are in Washington County. On top of my head, would be... 20? 20. 20 or 22? Yeah. So... That's something probably to be mindful too in terms of a county our size, yes. right? Yep. Land wise. Yep. Gotcha. So how are they how are they funded? Is it, if this is a private nonprofit entity, right. is is this something that local, you know, private entities can give to, or is this something we get grants for? Both. It can be both. Yep. So most commonly the land banks are funded through delinquent tax assessments. Oftentimes, they will also sustain themselves off the sales of the properties. Yeah. So if, you know, if we get a property and we may say we demolish a home and we then extinguish any tax liens on that property, right? There's no ex outstanding tax debt on that. Yeah. No, no. We can sell that to somebody who is going to redevelop, build a house, build a commercial building, put in green space. So the sale of the property is one way. But yes, they can also, it's a nonprofit. It could get loans. It could get a loan yeah. and also it's eligible for grants. So yeah. a, a host of funding options exist to help fund these organizations. Typically they're funded in seed by that uh, delinquent tax assessment or small grants. Usually that's how they're started. Yeah. Okay. So you could also have a general fund, right? Yes, Be yes. tied into at least the startup yep. of it as well. Okay. Can you use CDBG funds for it? Uh, yeah. So CDBG funds can be used, but only if there is a plan in place uh, for the property, which would include a CDBG eligible in use. Uh, so an example is obviously like a low to moderate income housing development. Um, you could use the funds to demolish it, but if the in use again uh, meets those uh, CDBG requirements, uh, you can't really do it just to maintain the inventory of property. Uh, so I think that would rule out kind of like admin uh, administrative type stuff throughout the course of the land bank, but definitely use it for certain projects if there's the plan in place. Okay. 
So right now, as of, as of March 2019, there are 56 county-based land banks in Ohio. And it's important to say this while we're talking about it too. Major, major shout out to the Western Reserve Land Conservancy, a great organization that many of us have worked with in our professional capacities, but they literally wrote the playbook about land banks. And so if you Google Western Reserve Land Conservancy land bank playbook, you'll get literally everything you ever wanted to know yes. about creating a land bank. So awesome, awesome well, resource. Well put together. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great playbook. Make sure you, you check them out. Um, but I want to get to a few more things before we get into some practical stuff, you know, here here on the Marietta side. Uh, first things, what are the powers that, that this nonprofit entity holds? So the powers of the land bank are several, but, the, you know, they're all the things you would think, right? So they have the power. They, they have their own bylaws, which govern, you know, they will create their own bylaws, which govern their activities. Yeah. And that's the first thing that has to be done after the board is formed. Correct. Very first thing. They can set the policies for acquiring properties, for how they're demolished, how they're rehabilitated, how they're disposed, and anything else related to the properties themselves. Um, they can approve contracts. They can contract with another organization to administer the program on their behalf. So maybe this newly formed nonprofit doesn't have the staff or the manpower to, or woman power to actually run the program. They could contract with your local CIC, County Improvement Corporation, or other public entity, maybe a port authority, you know, other folks to actually administer the program. So, gotcha. but their powers are basically to manage the transaction of that property from acquisition, remediation, and sale to the end user. Yeah. And hold it tax-free. Correct. Okay. That's so a big one. Yeah. That, that is a big one, especially from the, the private side. So the first thing I'm going to look at is, is this, is this entity competing with me? In the, in the private market. And so from the public side, what would you guys say to that? Yeah, you're holding it tax-free. We're proactively you know, trying to redevelop and acquire that land, but there's obviously opportunities there to redistribute the land for good. And that could be working with private developers, right? Yeah. That could be working with the next-door neighbor, whether it's Jared Perry, you know, Inkswell, here on Front Street. It's, I think, one of those also perceptions, too, that's out there that by the government acquiring these properties, right, for the public good, that they are anti-helping the local for development. Private. Yeah, right. it's it's here as a tool to then smartly, proactively talk with our developers, our community activists, really in terms of redevelopment to do something with it. It's not any race to do anything. It's just being proactive. And I actually would argue, Jared, that you as a developer would probably rather deal with a land bank than a streaky landowner. Yeah who is inconsistent, maybe they're absent, maybe they live in Missouri. They may not even realize they own this property, they got it in probate, right? So I think you would rather deal with the county land bank office. You know the, you know the prices, yeah. you know the history, you know the, the term, yeah, you know yeah. the bill of health, mm -hmm. you know the terms of sale, the communication is constant. And I would argue that you might even be able to get a better price, quite honestly. I mean, obviously oh, yeah. there's other factors, but I think it's probably from the developer side better to deal with the land bank organization that it is to deal with a landowner who probably quite clearly doesn't care about this property or yeah. isn't interested or they're trying to get rich off it. Yeah. Of yeah. whatever it is. So I think it's actually holding a hostage. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, you've seen that around here in Marietta, right? Well, I How think many? we can all point to, yeah. uh, yeah, the properties around here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, 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 you guys have convinced me, but, but now why hasn't it happened here? It's because your local government doesn't want to do it. 
there's mm-hmm. really this perception that, at least in this area, of limited government and unlimited government, right? Hiding the powers that That sounds like small-town America. It is. Right on the head. And now, granted— It's good and bad. It is, but also. There is. But in this situation, severely limiting. Yeah. They're, and they're already restricted, right, because it's, it is hard to enforce. It's hard to have this follow-through. So you got to have the right staff and right preparation in place. But the tools are there. They're there for the good of the public. You can't lose sight of that as a public official, in my opinion, right? And you can't just not do it because you don't want to do it. I know there's probably other reasons, too, that's deep in their head and embroidered, especially in a small town. If you're from this small town or you're from that smart th- small town, you just don't want to be that involved by something, again, that we said earlier in the show is so so big in nature. It is a, yeah. is a big thing to take someone's property. Yeah. Just on the outside, not looking at any of the variables, that's a big thing. It's uncomfortable. Yes, I think what you're saying is it's uncomfortable. And, and when it comes down to it, owning property comes with responsibility, right? Yes. I'm responsible to pay the taxes on that property. I'm not saying here that taxes are good or bad. The fact of the matter is taxes are part of law, correct? Correct. <laughs> and so as property owners, we all have to pay taxes. And if you choose not to do that, or you let your property go into extreme disrepair, there are consequences. Yeah. And what Sam is saying is true. It's very uncomfortable to have to go out there to your neighbor and enforce this policy of, you know, we've, you're delinquent on taxes, months, years, thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. The property is in extreme disrepair. It's an issue with neighbors. Maybe it's a public safety issue. Yeah. And now we have to take action. And that's just, everything about that's uncomfortable. And I get that. And because those neighbors, right, that was my school bus driver. Yeah. You know, that, that mm-hmm. was my grandpa's friend. We can't, we can't tax foreclose that property because that was my buddy. And the question I think that you're saying, Sam, is are we willing to give up the beauty, right? The charm, Jared said in an earlier episode of our neighborhoods for that. Yeah. Or can, or could we be proactive and do something like we just said earlier, do something. Yeah. Well, here's what we can do to actually bring this back into use in our communities and in our neighborhoods. So it's just uncomfortable yeah. and it's a hard thing. And, and quite honestly, there are communities in, in Southeastern Ohio that will not do a land bank that will not even touch it for that specific reason only. Yeah. They just will not do it for that purpose only N- despite the benefits, despite the positives. Yeah. You, just will not. You could easily go to someone who has complained about their neighbor's home, blight, dilapidated, everything you can imagine. This house is about to fall down. They're saying, what can, what can you do? Well, we can acquire it through a land bank. They may just be like, ooh, I don't want the government to, yes. to take their property. I just want you to fix this. Well, how do you think we're yeah, going to fix it? Mow their grass and then just send them a bill that they won't pay. Yeah, sure. Because they already don't pay their taxes. Yeah, right. No. And that's deep down. They want help, but when it comes to the terms that the government will dictate and how that's done, if they're against government working like that, you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't win that argument. And it's hard, and it, you, there's no way to understate this. I mean, listeners out there, go to the Marietta Times and Google blight property and see how many times it's been the top story Mm -hmm. in our newspaper. I mean, it's a huge issue. And what we're saying here as a group is if it's an issue in our community, whoever you, wherever you're listening from, wherever you are, it's probably an issue in your community too. And so what we're saying to you is don't lose hope. There are ways to try to resolve these issues and they're completely doable. It's not overly complicated to do this if you're willing and that's the hard part is the willing, right? We can, we can move mountains, man, but yeah. the hearts of men, yeah. right, that's the hard part. I think it's also easy to tag on a lot of other issues to the land bank and reasons why we don't want to. Yeah. 
well, we can't do it because we're in the floodplain. Yeah, I, I've heard that that's, that's been something I've, I've seen in the paper being, you know, running an architecture and engineering firm, uh, doing real estate development, like uh, just that doesn't make any logical sense to me that, that either says, that says one of two things. That says one, we, we don't know what we're talking about. If you say that we right. don't know what we're talking about or we're not worth investing in. Right. Yeah. Like, well, who would want to cop out? Who, who could possibly want riverfront property? That's just, you know. Every person that's come to this yeah. community for the last 300 years. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's maybe so millions of years if you go back to the Native it, Americans. I it, mean, and I think a lot of the times, at least, and you know, I sit on the historical board here in Marietta, uh, which presides over this, the C4 district. I think a lot of times we say that we don't want to do things in the name of being historic. Right. right? Yeah. There is nothing, nothing historic about a dilapidated, rundown house. Right. Yeah. Nothing. I would rather tear it down, build some flood, not proof structure, but something that complies with FEMA regulations, or you get some fat cat with enough capital that can come in here who doesn't need national, you know, flood insurance. Yes. Does it on his own dime. Yes. Or her own dime. Yes. And they don't have to comply with those things. They can put it wherever, wherever they want. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there is no truer word than that. I mean, if you're not using public dollars to rehabilitate your building or build it, or you don't need flood insurance, the floodplain is not an issue. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Sam and I were talking off mic earlier about Charleston, South Carolina. Right. So if you go on, I believe it's a South, you know, handle in, in Charleston, you're going to see a lot of houses on stilts. If you yeah. go out to, you know, the islands, you're going to see a lot of houses on stilts. But if you're downtown, you're in Rainbow Row, you're in some of these... You know, these are six, seven, eight, ten million dollar homes. Yeah. You get hit with a, a flood surge, guess what? I'll just pull it out of the bank and we'll fix it again. Like they're probably uninsured. Sure. Oh yeah. Now well, I don't think we have that luxury here, considering the statue gave us in episode yeah. one. Yeah. Well I, the joke the joke I make is if if the only person willing to give you insurance against something is the government, that's a bet that's that's should get your attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> If no private insurance company will give you flood insurance, but FEMA will, that tells you that, you know, that market has been soaked. That's a terrible pun. That was, mm, that was yeah, a bad one. That was. <laughs> wow. But anyway, but it's true. But it's true. It's, it's, that, that should get your attention. Yeah. <laughs> so sticking, sticking here locally, what, what does Washington County look like from a numbers perspective? How many tax delinquent properties do we actually have? So I'm going to give you a few numbers here, Jared, but I'm, we're only going to talk about properties that are more than one year delinquent, right? So gotcha. we're not going to go with anything shorter than that. So in the county total, we've got 1,300 properties that are tax delinquent, and the total amount owed is $3.4 million. City of Marietta, we've got 293 properties, and that total delinquent is 650000 Okay. So... So to put that in perspective, what's the city of Marietta get in CDBG funding each year? Uh, roughly around $400,000. Okay, so we get $400,000 in free federal money every year, and we've got you know, 650000 sitting in delinquent properties that we could, yes. that are more than one year, yes. you're saying? Yeah. Yep. yeah. So these aren't, oh, crap, I forgot to pay my bill. This yep, is, correct. I'm not paying my bill. Right. Yeah. So what it looks like in the data. I mean, it looks like there's a, you know, there's a chronic, you know, underpayment or lack of payment here yeah for a substantial amount of time that data goes from what two two year plus to seven plus nine there were yeah. some numbers on yeah, that yeah i think that it was to nine and what i was yep. seeing yep 
but yeah, that's significant. I mean, think what we could do with that. Yeah. I think this is, you know, again, I'm a private market guy. If, if I could give one piece of advice to any folks out there that are running for office or thinking about running for office, especially with upcoming elections, you need to educate yourself on this. This is, it's extremely important. And I would not, I would hesitate for anybody to think that this is not their responsibility to act on. If, if you see something that is, if you see blight, yeah, the city of Marietta, I don't know what other communities do, but the city of Marietta is complaint basis. Code enforcement is complaint basis, meaning they're not driving around. They're not nope. looking at it. Right. If somebody doesn't call and complain, it's not getting looked at. Yeah. And you have cities out there that have designated like zoning inspectors, right? You have people out there that are going to just write a normal fee for overgrown grasses, right? That's how it kind of starts and you get a radar, at least of a city. Okay, here they go. Grass is growing. All right, here they go. No one's really mowing it. All right, it's summer. Something must be going on, right? Did yep. someone die? Right. Pro- the property's stuck in probate. It's who knows. But you can't do anything if you're out there by not saying something, sure. right? So anybody that's listening that say, hey, you know what? I'm tired of looking those. I'm tired of driving through town, seeing all these properties. Well, go reach out to your local officials. Say, what can you do? Gets back to this whole thing that we talked about earlier. If they don't want to do it, ask them that. Say, why don't you want to do it? Tell me a reason why you don't want to do it because it's a problem. I've also heard horror stories from other communities where maybe there was a complaint or there was a perceived complaint of a property or a series of properties. And eventually that escalated into a court proceeding. I've heard a story of a court saying the very first, very first thing they asked for, show me the complaint, right? Or show me the notice that you gave the property owner and they didn't. And then they were, they threw the case out right there because they didn't have a complaint Mm. or they didn't have other documentation of what the infraction was. So it's critical. And as Jared's saying, that's how our system works. Yeah. Yeah, you do have to show a pattern. So that it's important to always complain. As weird as that sounds, complain to your city, city officials or admin that these are problems. We'll get into zoning, I'm sure, one episode, but these are like nuisance laws, okay? You don't it's for the public good. It's kind of things that you see, right? The grass is growing, the grass is high, leads to rodents, leads to uh, issues in terms of snakes, unwanted pets that then acquire into your property. That's one of the things you hear about blight properties all the time. Well, you know, rodents are living there. Raccoons are living in there. Yeah. It poses a public safety yep. hazard to neighbors. I've also seen examples of city council folks who will put their name on the complaint rather than you if you don't feel comfortable. Hmm. So let's say Jared has a, wants to make a complaint about a property, but Jared doesn't feel comfortable. Wants to remain unnamed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jared doesn't feel comfortable signing the sheet, right, or, or actually filing the complaint. You could tell your city councilman the issue. You could discuss it, and then they would fill out the complaint form and sign their name on the form. Great. So where, where do the residents of Marietta go to, to figure out who their, their council person is in their ward? MarietaOH.net. Yeah. There you go. Hopefully, Folks, you ho- heard it. Hopefully you know. <laughs> sure. Hopefully. <laughs> and you're not, unless you just moved here, but hopefully you know who should be representing you. Yes. But, but it's probably, there's probably data out there that would show otherwise that people don't know. And don't seem to care, don't want to know. But it's also to a point of wanting to learn, right? You've got to just keep voicing that word out there that, hey, this is wrong. we got to fix this. It's a community effort to get a lot of these properties kind of on the radar. And 
that's the best thing you can do if your city government or local government or county government keeps failing to acknowledge these kind of blighted properties. And I think this goes back to the one of the core reasons we are doing this show. We want folks to reclaim their citizenship. We want folks to reclaim their voice. We want folks to reclaim their agency in all these matters. So mm -hmm. that's why Jared, Sam, and I are having these discussions. One other thing I want to mention from a private market perspective, because I'm, I'm big on this. I don't know where you two fall. I, I think we rely in small town America too much on state funding, federal funding, et cetera, federal assistance grants. If folks in, in government positions here locally are to create a land bank, what are we looking at to make it self-sustainable? Because depending on government, federal or state dollars, year in and year out is not is not something that's sustainable how many properties do we have to turn to, to pay a single person you know you've got the board but they're already paid doing something else right yep. you need somebody to execute these strategies so you know we're looking at like say fifty sixty thousand dollars plus benefits you know you got probably a hundred thousand dollar total compensation package for an individual how many properties do we've got to do we have to turn in order to make that a, a reality if you, if you if you assume ten thousand dollars you know to demo a single property. Well, the good thing is the magic of the land bank that I don't think we've touched on yet is that keep in mind, any tax delinquent tax that's owed on these properties is extinguished when the land bank takes ownership of this property. So we're not going to have any acquisition costs. I'm saying we, if I was a land bank, so we're not going to have any or very little acquisition costs because we're giving up that delinquent tax value, you know, that's never been paid, probably never going to be paid. We're giving that up for the opportunity, right, to get it back into the hands of somebody who would redevelop it or use that property. So yeah. and pay taxes. And pay taxes on it. So it could be, you know, let's say marginally, if you've got ten properties in Marietta that we were able to demolish and, you know, basically make available, if if you're selling one of those parcels for ten thousand dollars, which I would argue in the city of Marietta, a, a, a parcel for ten thousand dollars is probably a great price. Yeah. Yeah, I can think of one right now on Third Street that's a very small parcel. For sale for twenty five, sure, I mean, very small. So yeah. if you if you do ten of if you turn ten of those around in a year, your land bank organization is self sustaining, or the contract that you're paying to administer the land bank program is self sustaining. Yeah, and so it's dependent on that sale. So I could conceive a a, a relatively um, low barrier of entry to trying to fund or self sustain that organization through the sale of properties. That yeah, you and we've got yeah. you know roughly two hundred ninety three. You said, I mean, just doing simple math, yep. round up. You've got 30 years worth of backlog. That's just, and that's just the city of Marietta. We're talking about a county, right? Yes. Yeah. So that's 15, 1,500 yeah. properties right there. Yep. And you want to go after 10 a year? That's more manageable. Yeah. yeah. Especially for one person. Yes. Sure. Yeah. So if you're trying to raise $100,000 and you're going to do it through 10 properties, I mean, that math is easy. Yeah. Now, all of this is contingent. You said extinguished. I would yep. argue extinguishable. Sure. Right, because that's going to depend on your board. That's going to True. depend on yes. the, your elected officials that yes. sit on that board that say, okay, we're, we're willing to, to take a bath on this yep. in hopes that we can redevelop the property for the private market to take it back over and, and put it in responsible hands. Yeah. yeah. Well, and some of those dollar amounts are really associated to pretty prime properties, right? So it's going to be strategic in terms of the board actually going after properties. That's going to be a quick turnover, right? You can nail this thing right off the bat by actually analyzing your data of where these properties are and how far back they are and how easy it will be to turn it, turn them around. Yeah. And I would argue, you know, and, and Jared, I think will appreciate this, but the closer you can bring that value to the fair market value, 
the better it's going to be for the folks that are in the community, the better it's for yeah. folks that work in development. I mean, so it's competitive and it's not a giveaway, right? It's not a handout. It's, it's a market-based transaction. And so mm-hmm. now obviously some communities don't do that. You know, so we yeah. know some communities are selling properties for a dollar. Yeah. I don't know. I won't pretend to know City the logic Cleveland behind them for 25 bucks. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that their land bank is, or I think Cuyahoga County manages it, but I've, I've absolutely seen city block after city block each parcel for $25 just it, in hopes of, of, of developer coming sure. in and, and buying all of it. They're, and they're, they're taking a hit on it. Mm-hmm. City of Parkersburg, where I worked for several years, uh, Parkersburg Urban Renewal Authority would be taking property by eminent domain, but you have the same cost in terms of title search, demolition, all the taxes and liens and everything that's acquitted, you know, acquitted through that in terms of l- almost yep. lawyer fees, right? Yep. Court filing fees. And you turn around, you can sell it for a dollar because they want it off there. They don't want it. They want it to take care of the blight problem, at least in that scenario, get it down and get it in the hands of somebody. We've sold them for just a few dollars to next door neighbors. Same, same way the land, land bank could work in terms of just selling it to the neighbor, extended yard. Yeah, sands eminent domain, but same yeah. principle. Same yeah. principle. And I only say that because, you know, they basically took a hit because there's a lot more upfront costs there to take that sure. c- compared to a land bank. But that was them being proactive and actually getting these properties sure. moved. And I think that's what we're encouraging right here. What's yeah. What gives us forward inertia, right? What takes us forward? That That's really what we're talking about at the heart yeah. here. We're, we're stuck on center right now. And so this is an idea that can actually maybe take us a few steps forward. And I think that's all we're asking for. Yeah. Well, guys, I think this has been really informative. I know I've, I've learned a lot. I hope our listeners have as well. Um, as always, if anyone has any questions on this, be sure to hit us up, support at mytownhustle.com. Uh, until next time. Thank you for listening to My Town Hustle. We would greatly appreciate it if you would share our podcast with someone who you think would benefit greatly from it. But most importantly, subscribe and leave us a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or whichever platform you consume your podcasts. It would mean the world to us. Until next time, folks, thanks for listening. We stop dancing and begin.